You're listening to The Classroom Collaborative Podcast with your hosts, Dee Dee Wills Ed Brock And Adam Peterson Here we go We're so glad you're here Let's get started Hello everyone, welcome back to The Classroom Collaborative Podcast I am Adam Peterson Hello, I'm Dee Dee Wills And we are, are back two weeks in a row, Dee Dee Wills We're starting 2021 20, off What of is foot. going on? <laughs> I, what like, has happened to us? I shouldn't have said that. Like, knock on wood, no, we're going to keep this going. But we have a schedule where we're going to we meet do. on Tuesdays. We're going to try to knock these out for y'all. So, right. Uh, I mean, we have a lot to say. We do. But is it all classroom relevant? I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes not. But think, we you know do that have. Show, did you ever, I never watched it, but there was that show, I think it was on Comedy Central or something called Drunk History, where people just got hammered no. and talked about history. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think it lasted very long, but I'm like, huh. we, could, we could just sit around and drink wine and talk about stuff. <laughs> and talk about stuff. Teachers might listen. I would, I would, I would become increasingly congested because any alcohol <laughs> makes me super congested. So yeah, we'll, sadly, we'll, we'll forget about that. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, alcohol is really not for me. <laughs> I don't know if that's a sadly. You shouldn't put that in front of it. Sometimes, sometimes it sounds like a good idea. Oh, well, man. so, well, we we were um, kind of brainstorming some topics mm-hmm. that we could talk about um, because we do want to have a little direction. We want to, <laughs> we want to provide some value. So um, I began researching some articles and came across a couple that felt really timely, even though they were published two or three years ago. So um, I thought maybe one of them was five years ago. Oh my goodness! Yeah, as but I was to- reading them and kind of going over them, it it did. It seemed like these were these were new things, like right. because it's so relevant right now. And then you look at right. the date of them, but time right. travel, right? Time travel. So <laughs> um, I got these articles. If you're not a member of the International Literacy Association and and you're kind of a research nerd, this might be something that you want to look into. Um, <laughs> Both of these articles are from their publication, The Reading Teacher. So um, the first one though was published in 2017. And I thought it was a good article that we could talk about. Um, the article is titled Five Steps Towards Successful, Culturally Relevant Text Selection and Integration. I mean, it's a short title, right? That's a short way to get it out. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So um, in the show notes, I'll go ahead and list everything so that if, it, if you are a member, you can go back and find it. But I felt like it was, it was, uh, well, yesterday, well, today is a Tuesday. Yesterday was Martin Luther King mm-hmm. Day. Um, and we're just getting ready to go into Black History Month. Right. And so um, one of the things that I think that we often see or feel um, is some question about, do we just um, talk about culture during these or these subjects during these months, right? right? So now we have Black History. So let's go ahead and talk about just during this month. And I think that um, one of the things that um, I have been guilty of in the past is rolling out Martin Luther King, right? And then rolling right into Black History Month and then continuing on, you know, in March with my day um, or how I, how I would have taught as far as cultures go the rest of the year, you know, right. it's just sort of a linear, linear um, instruction. And so, although this article didn't necessarily go into, um, you know, Black History Month, it did talk about selecting culturally relevant texts mm-hmm. for your students. 
Um, I've also been reading Unpack Your Impact by uh, Lanisha Tab and Naomi um, as well. And so those are just some things that have been constantly kind of on my mind. So the article begins with um, talking about how the landscape of our classrooms have changed. Right. Um, in some schools, you know, we have, depending on some parts of the country, where you are, you may have a very um, homogenous group, right? Everybody might kind of look like me, right? Come from my background, yep. um, white European background as far as family history. But as we start to look at um, communities as they continue to evolve and change, we do realize that, you know, at, nationally across the United States, you know, we have a much more diverse population. Um, and I think that uh, myself, when I taught at San Diego Unified School District, um, it was 100% free and reduced, 96% second language learners. So by that, by that second language learner discussion, I mean, I had seven different countries Wow. Uh, or not like countries, but languages represented in my class. So very diverse. In fact, I was probably the only one um, who was not an ESL learner, right? Oh yeah. Very, very few people. And so in that, in that environment, um, you know, I really strive to find culturally diverse books so that I could talk to my students, right? So I taught at that school district for two years. I'm just, this is kind of like a little precursor, y'all. No, and when was um, that? So we think about the timeliness of these articles. That was what year that you were there? Oh, 2000, probably 2000. Okay. Maybe. So 21 years ago. And right. it, was, it was something you noticed. Well, I also have a master's in multicultural education. Well, That's what my master's in. Is it? So, yeah. So I was so I'm kind, kind of a big deal in this. No, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm kidding. No, because my next thing that I'm going to tell you is going to sadden you deeply about what you know about D.D. Wills. <laughs> Stop. So, no, really. So I, I moved to central Missouri where right. all of my students, um, I would say all but maybe one or two in my classroom were born in that county, raised in that county, right? We all kind of had a similar European history background, right? Yep. And so- Very similar to where I grew up, yeah. And even kind right. of similar to where I'm at now, although it's changed a lot like this article lists. Um, I don't mean to interrupt you, but- it's No, that's fine. A lot over the past year since I started teaching, but I grew up in a place like that. It was a town of 700 people, you know? Everybody knew right. everybody. Every teacher at the school was related in some way. <laughs> like we just, right. it was a farming community, a tight knit exactly. little farming community. Exactly. That's, in where, the middle I, of that's nowhere. where I was. You know, there right. was no reason for, I mean, you know, you picture San Diego, you get a lot of cultures yeah. because people are traveling, you know, up from Mexico and, and in different areas for, right. for work and, you know, jobs and, and whatnot. And we had a lot of refugees from Africa. We had yeah. a lot of refugees from Africa um, and multiple countries from Africa. So it wasn't like they all came from, you know, this region and they all had this similar experience. Right. There was a lot of, of trauma involved with them as well. And where I grew so, up, it was, there was no reason or no rationale for, for anybody to come to the area where I, you know what I mean? Like that, there was right. no, there was nothing, there was no opportunity. Like, there wasn't like an industry draw there. Right. Like right. you, you either farmed or you were a teacher or you traveled to one of the nearby cities for, for work, but it wasn't right. like a big city, you know, but it wasn't a commutable community. No, like, not at all. Yeah. 
Did I say that right? Com- Commun- commutable community. That was pretty good. You got that on the first try. <laughs> I know. I should have like tested my luck. Okay, so here I am. Um, after teaching several years in San Diego, I moved to Central Missouri, and I already explained my population. And so I slipped back into the habit of just picking books that represented my students, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that's where I was, and the bulk of my students. Um, you know, of course I had some other texts in there as well, but some culturally diverse texts in there, but the bulk of my, my, my texts that I selected represented my, my community. And so one, and then several years ago, you know, that was, that was then several years ago, there was this discussion about do the books we have represent our community. And I started to think about, um, not just the community as the small, but the community as a larger community. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when we don't represent the larger community, then sometimes we aren't able to connect with other, with other cultures that are different than ours. And so we become very linear in our thinking. So even though I was thinking, well, you know, okay, so in my class now I have I'm looking at farming books, you know, students who have that experience, sort of right. that rural experience, not a whole lot of experience in the city because I didn't have anybody who we were no aware. Some people had never been to the city, right. right? So what a disservice that I I decided consciously or unconsciously to narrow that perspective. And I think that um, we are, increasingly at a time when we really need to keep our perspective um, on everybody that's in our community, even if they're not in our small community, right? In our state community, in our country community, in our world community. So um, this article really um, is a little bit different because the teacher that we're talking, who who is kind of the um, example in this this, um, article, let me just keep using the word article, article over and over article. again. Yeah, in this article, um, you know, she's teaching in a very diverse classroom, and so she went ahead and um, walks us through the um, the steps taken in order to find more relevant text. I was amazed at the that percentage, and this is from 2016 is when this yeah. article was written that that Dee, Dee mentioned is that in that year from the National Center for Education, they said there was a decrease in white students in this a national enrollment trends, national right. enrollment trends. So this is this article focuses on one classroom, but a national enrollment trends decreased from white students from 59% to 50% and an increase in Hispanic students from 19 to 25. And that, I don't know if it, it surprised me, but I, 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 I think the decrease surprised me, but the increase didn't, because I know we saw that here in my area. Um, so yeah. I'm about an hour outside of Chicago. So it is a, whatever you called com- commutable. Community. I double dog dare you, double dog <laughs> um, dare you to try that. And we have a, a bunch of industry that has moved out this way, you know, plants and right. factories. And there's, there's all kinds of warehouse like that. That seems to be the boom in our area, warehouse after warehouse, because we're right where um, some of the big interstates of our country, cr- the crossroads of interstate 55 and interstate 80, which runs, you know, east to west go right through our neighborhood or our town. So right. there are tons of logistics companies around here. And we have, I, I would say, I wish I knew, I should have looked this up before now, but there was a definite increase of Hispanic in our area. And then with, um, you know, communities building bigger and bigger outside of Chicago. And I feel like 
the suburbs have grown, which has made ours. I don't consider us a suburb, even though we're, you know, 60 miles away. Right. We have grown. So we, we've right. definitely seen different cultures coming into our area. And and you mentioned um, African-Americans coming and that population growing where you were. Ours, uh-huh. we have seen a huge, and I don't know, I don't know why I'm not in the classroom anymore. I, I don't know, but my, I know my daughter and son have both mentioned, um, a couple times this year, they've gotten, we've gotten students from, from Egypt. I don't know what it is that's oh, okay. about Egypt, but like there's multiple families in our area. So who are, yeah, who are, who are leaving where they are for various reasons. Oftentimes right. they're, they're leaving for, um, refugee sort of, yeah. you know, persecution issues. So I think that, you know, one of the things that we've kind of noticed with the rise of social media, right? But also just our moment in time in history, mm-hmm. um, not just in the United States, but around the world, there seems to be some polarization around that identity of who we are. Um, and I think the reality is every community has this, um, every, every civilization has, I almost knocked my mic off, um, have people moving in and, and, and mixing around. And when we see something that looks different than what we are used to, oftentimes fear is coupled with that. Right. And so if, if, if we as educators, um, don't provide opportunities, one, for students to see themselves reflected in the text, one. Um, or if you are teaching at something, something, something ville in, in, a, in a, a rural community like I described, when students see something that's different, fear slash could be part of a response. Right. And so I, I feel like we need to make sure that we don't um, create that environment or not create those opportunities to get to know people who are different. Well, that's what um, I was gonna say. It shouldn't be because your population has grown, right? Like exactly relevant text should be in right. your classroom, whether you know you're from where I mentioned I'm from from or not. Right. And I think I think especially like you said around the world in our times right now, because this isn't about, you know, black and white. This is culture. This is culture from yes. all parts of the world coming into right. classrooms. And whether or not you have a predominantly white classroom or you're in, you know, tiny little Illinois town where I grew up, those kids aren't going to be in that town forever. Right. Like right. So open their right. eyes, expose, right. exposed. And I think one of my favorite parts about this, this article that, that you shared with me is that it's, it's all about things that we should be doing anyway. Right. Like, right. This, is nothing right. New. this isn't because times have changed. This is because this is what as human beings we should be be doing. Right. Plus it's, it's really cool. So one of the things I'll kind of walk through that article um, so that those who are listening can kind of think about how they might try something like this. She um, is a third grade teacher and is getting ready to do the Thanksgiving discussion about, um, about Thanksgiving. And she decided she was going to use a book called Molly's Pilgrim, which is about a girl who migrates from Russia to the US to, the US to escape 
um, religious persecution, such as the pilgrims did when they came to the United States, right? right? Or at, to the New World, I should say, not the United States. It wasn't the United States at the time. Then they came to the New World. And so then as she was talking to the students about this, um, some other students said, oh, that's her experience is like my experience when I left, I think it was Iraq, when I left Ag- yeah. Iraq. Um, and so one thing came to another um, and she decided to, instead of having it just be a Thanksgiving unit, to share multiple perspectives of people who have held pilgr- pilgrimages for different reasons, right? And to look for books yep. that would express those um, cultures that are within her classroom. So, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, well, okay, in my classroom, thinking back to my last classroom, I had two students who were ESL students because I had all the ESL students because I was the only one who had the ESL certificate, (laughs) right? Um, I had two ESL students and and what a great experience for, it lost opportunity, but it would have been a great experience for me to tap into their experiences plus Mm -hmm. everybody else's experience of how did you end up, what is your experience, your, your history of coming to United States? Some people Oh, well, you know what? My grandfather was born here, blah, blah, blah. Some people say, oh, well, my parents moved here from X, Y, Z. And they were uh, just getting that different perspective. So what she suggests, what this article suggests is, first of all, recognizing the need for culturally responsive instruction. Um, And hopefully if I express that in a way, Adam and I have talked about why we feel like there's a need right. for that. Well, and I, that's what I liked about, so I'm a, I'm a person who needs like step-by-step approach. So if you're a listener listening to this and you're like, this seems like a lot of information, like I, I really, I need to know more, but there's a ton. It's a, it's a really easy article to read. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of information, but I ton. loved, I loved how it broke it down into those steps. So yeah. what, what Didi just mentioned was there, there's five steps. And the first one was what she just said, recognize the need for cultural responsive instruction. And really, if you, if you just stop and think like, Think about your students you currently have. And and that's how you begin to recognize that, you know? Right, right. You know, where are your students coming from? Where their families come from? Do they know where their families came from? Can you start a discussion about that? And I think, you know, we've seen even before, um, you know, we we felt like this was maybe quote unquote needed because I think it always has been needed. Exactly. We've seen a lot of that happening. You know, teachers are doing more and more. like I know around Christmas, there's a big one, the holidays around the world, people are doing some right. cool things to, to celebrate and really learn, not just celebrate, but learn about different cultures when it comes to holidays. But right. I like how this is about keeping this going all year long, you know, and right. you mentioned um, San Diego, you know, being English language learners. And in our area, we had a huge Hispanic population growth. And we had this amazing ESL teacher who decided to, to celebrate that school wide. And she would, she would feed us information about um, Hispanic American books and Mexican American books. And right. she would give us all the information we needed and she'd put them into our classrooms. And then every year she would host a, like she'd host a Cinco de Mayo party for the entire school. So her students who were being pulled out of our classrooms to go work with her on the English language learning skills, then got to push in like to classrooms and come celebrate with us and teach our, like their friends about what, what, you know, what Cinco de Mayo was or why they celebrate it. And I'll never forget that. It was one of my favorite days of the year because it wasn't something we typically celebrated, right? Like it came up like, Oh, it's Cinco de Mayo. Let's, let's 
do an art project, right? Yeah, but, let's make a pinata. Yeah. Let's have some benuelos. And I'll right. never forget it. She turned it into this this whole celebration of the culture. And I think that when I was reading this, that's what I thought of for that that number one. Like she recognized a need, right. not just for for texts, but culturally right. responsive. Like number one says instruction, and she really saw, hey, there's a there's a growing population of this in our school. A huge growth in a couple of years. She was there. Right. Let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate right. that culture. And it was so much fun. And one thing that we really talked about in um in in San Diego was that we had students who came from Mexico, but other Latin Spanish speaking countries right. as well. So what they do in Mexico is very different than what they do in Guatemala and you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was something also to kind of just think about. You know, and when we think about African culture, it's very different in Kenya than it is in Somalia, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot of um, layers to this as well. So first recognizing, um, then getting to know students and their lives. And in reading um, Natasha and Naomi's book, that was definitely something that was a thread throughout was getting to know the students' backgrounds so that you can one, um, recognize um, their cultural responses to things, right? Um, but also so that you can help get books um, out there to them that would also represent their experiences. So um, she has, in this article, she has an interview kind of process that she goes through. Yeah, like um, Kind of talks about the demographic, you know, like, what's your name? How old are you? What other schools have you attended? Which I think is something, the get to know you stage is a really great idea. Tell me about your family. You know, where do you, do you live in a house, an apartment? Um, do you have any pets? You know, what are some of your favorite activities? Um, and she can glean some information. Um, if, if, what are some of your favorite activities you could find out? Like this example was that, oh, I go to the Eastern Orthodox church. Right. Or you could find, you could just find out information without being intrusive. What celebrations or holidays do you have with your family? We'll give you a whole lot of information about their background. Um, well, I and think then, this just and, feeds into the the fact that like we we preach this all the time relationships relationships yeah relationships. but the thing I like about this it takes it beyond just creating a comfortable relationship with teacher student right this this turns this into you know who I am I want to know so much about you and then I think when we when we really take relationships to the next step and and build relationships with students families that's really going to help this step grow, right? Like we, we right. can learn so much about their family when we make a point to be known to the family. And I, I unfortunately, I know that doesn't happen everywhere. I know teachers right. that are listening to this are, are the best at it, right? Like that's why you're here listening to Didi and I talk. But I remember yeah. having conversations with this before with parents, parents who come to me and say, oh my gosh, I haven't, I haven't heard from my child's teacher. And I know this year is very different. Like you might right. not, have, you might not have met the parents. You haven't heard from your teacher, year. her teacher, because she's under her desk. Right. Like, Jen right now. Cause she cannot cope, <laughs> but she's in pain. Uh, that was one thing that always struck me. Like, yeah, I don't, I've, I haven't gotten an email from my child's teacher in mm. this year, you know? And I'm like, right. I think we need to remember that, that this isn't just about the relationship with the child. It's about building the relationship with the family, because that's where you're going to really learn about the importance of their family values, their culture, their, right. their practices, right. you know, the, where, like you mentioned that, that Eastern Orthodox church that that little girl went to. And I, I just, the relationships have been one of those things that I constantly talk about with, with teachers. Right. Taking it to the culture level is a whole nother, another step. Right. 
Right. And, and the um, article also gives research that supports that when texts are culturally relevant, students are better able to monitor comprehension, make connections and interpret what they read. So it's not just, oh, let's make sure everybody have a kumbaya moment. Right. No, it's because this actually um, impacts learning as well. So um, it's it's great for building um, connections within, within um, different cultures as well. Because even if we don't celebrate the same holiday, maybe we don't celebrate the same holiday, um, we have some very similar um, underlying practices mm -hmm. maybe that we do. Right. Um, and so if we find those things that make us more alike than different, it, 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 one, it's interesting. It, it brings me in as a learner, um, but it also um, takes away that, that kind of um, fear of the unknown. Right. And when I talk about like, I know that this is talking about culture, um, but I really think on a broader scope, it's about different isms, right? So we mm -hmm. have people who have learning differences. We have people who have um, physical differences, right? So they may have, um, I had a student who did not have five fingers on a hand. He was right. born that way. I had, you know, so, and I think that if you live in, whether you live in a small world or in a big world, meaning small community or big community, Eventually, there's going to be a moment where you see somebody who is very different than maybe your family makeup. Maybe right. they're a child in a wheelchair, a child using um, hand crutches, or an adult. Um, or um, I, I don't know. We just see a lot of different things. You see people with the um, is it cochlear cochlear implants for oh, hearing? Yeah. Yep. Right. I mean, if you hadn't seen that before or had a conversation about it, if you're at Walmart and your child sees that on somebody, they're gonna be like, what's going on? Oh, God. Right? I'll so never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget. This is not funny, but it is. Olivia, our daughter, when she was she was maybe three, she was in the shopping cart and she saw a man with, with an eye patch, like uh -huh. I had an injury oh, or injury. Right. Out loud, it goes, "Daddy, Daddy, look, a pirate!" <laughs> it's like, "Oh my God, yeah. I'm so..." So I get right. it. I know that's that's nowhere near the discussion of implants and and you know physical deformity, right. and whatnot, but but it's one of those things. Yeah, we we never really we never had the need to discuss that with her, you know. And well, and, and the kids are going to notice. Here's what happens as a mom, you know, when the perfect son says something like that, I'm like, shh, 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 shh. you know, I try to shush them. But why? And so. But what that teaches them is this is something that is not to be discussed, right? Right? Or, um, you know, and and so even though that would never be my intention, that that's something that's not to be, that's what I, that's the message I sent. I yeah. shush or, you know, oh, look at that so-and-so with this physical trait. Um, when I was in my school in San Diego, um, the parents had facial tattoos, you know, full facial tattoos. Um, That's my next one. Didn't you know that I've, I'm getting a face <laughs> tattoo? But these these were done, you know, as a tribe, no, as know. a tribe thing, right? And um, very, you know, different piercings as well. Right. Although now we see them everywhere, so, but at the time, um, not for cultural for reasons, just because. Yeah. But but at the time, it was very unique, and um, you know. It didn't happen to me, but had it happened to me at the grocery store, Matt would be like, what's going on right. with that? Um, I would have probably at the time shushed him. Uh -huh. And so I think I think that 
has kind of played in a little bit to how we we don't want to talk about race. We don't want to talk about differences. And I think that if we purposefully um, bring that into the conversation in a constructive way, um, it will be helpful. Well, I'm glad you mentioned okay. the, the just the differences too, because it, this yeah. does go beyond just just culture. Um, I know at, at our school, our our little elementary school that I taught at housed um, classrooms. But we had, we had a special education co-op. And they housed classrooms for the county for some severe special needs students. And those uh-huh. classrooms were some of my favorite places to visit. When I when my kids were at specials, that's where I would go hang out, and and we'd read books and sing songs, and I'd just chat with with the kids in there, you know. And it came to a point where before I left, one of the teachers and I actually set up like a like a buddy program. So instead of the typical fourth grade reading buddy that comes to kindergarten, we we paired up with one of the special needs classrooms, and we. Nice. We did some cooking together and we did some games together. And the coolest part was it, it, it became not different to them. You know, this was just, they saw them as kids. Those, those were kids. Those were my friends. Those were my buddies. And I think that's so important to remember that whether it's culture or physical or even emotional or whatever it may be like, just make it, make it known that that, that, that's, that's a person, you know, that's what this is about. And I, right. I love, I know one thing, when you sent me these articles, I started thinking about my own texts and I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, I, I don't, I'd have to go through my whole book list, but I probably don't have a lot of culturally relevant. You know, I, I don't know that I did when I was in the classroom, I had some, but I wouldn't say right. I had a lot. And, and I know when I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sure listeners are too, they're thinking, where do I go? Like, okay, DD, yeah. feed me. What, what's next? How do I find texts that right. are relevant? What's the best idea? And this article kind of gave some tips for that. Oh my gosh, so many. And and it, it also mirrors what you said in that when you look at, um, well, looking at the Common Core Standards book list that they had, mm-hmm. they mentioned, Common Core Standards mentioned 171 texts and only 18 of them um, were by non-white authors. So that's a low percentage. Right. And then the Scholastic um, has a book list of 25 top picture books um, and none of them were by white authors. Now that's that's back in 2008. So I would need to look. They may have modified their. Hopefully, they have modified their list. But in this article, so. <laughs> yeah, in this article, they have um, like so many suggestions. Um, it has been uh, an ongoing issue, uh, and there have not been um, a huge range of books that are easy to find right? There's some that have been self-published or Mm -hmm. maybe you have to, you have to really dig, but I will say happily over the last, I would say three or four years, there has been a big push in the teacher community to share this. And, um, our good friend Vera, the tutu teacher is, if you don't know her Instagram feed, I I'm, I'm sure you are. You're probably like, I don't know your Instagram feed, (laughs) but I know hers. Um, she just, is book after book after book. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's not, she shows up and she does the work. And so her book list is amazing. The thing um, I love about Vera, if you're not following her, you guys, yes, need to. Um, I love about her is she, she wants to teach teachers too. Like, right. it's not, I, I've never seen her post things or say that like, you should be doing this. You sh-. She's like, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Yes. Let's yes. celebrate this. And yeah, her list of constant shares for relevancy is relevancy is that a word Rele- relevance it is, is right now absolutely it is right now. It like, is, i think it totally worked is amazing so i'm glad you brought her up for sure 
you know what I was thinking as you were talking about this, I was thinking about a complete, can I just do a left turn really quick? We sure can. <laughs> okay. I was thinking about listening. I was listening to this podcast and on there, they had the two guys who invented method cleaner, you know, the method cleaner it's, oh, it yeah. showed right. It's everywhere yep. now. It wasn't method. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I thought it was like, did you freeze or where are you going with this? <laughs> I, no, I, it was method. I'm sorry. It's method. I was thinking okay. of another one. Um, and they talked about making a cleaner household cleaner items that were also good for the environment. Right. And so when they were designing this, they were thinking about the packaging that it was going to be in because they, they weren't really interested. I mean, they wanted to get the market share of people who already found the need mm-hmm. and, and were already on board with, cleaning products that were good for the environment. They wanted that market share, but what they really wanted were people who hadn't quite had the Kool-Aid yet, right. who hadn't quite um, decided that that was a, a something that they needed. So they really designed the packaging um, so that it was appealing and, and desirable, I right. guess, right? And so I was thinking this morning, I was, I was thinking about this article um, that, when some sometimes sometimes there's lots of different voices out there right there are a mm-hmm. lot of different voices out there who are talking about the need for this and it's one of the things that i love about vera is that she convinces you without even trying that this is a great book right, right? and by the way you're also doing something for the environment so this is a great package and by the way, you're also doing something to add some diversity to the text that you're using. Does that, that make sense? Really left turn. That was a total connection. Was yep. that a connection? Okay, cool. She, she does. She 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 packages it nicely. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Yes, she yeah, does. I saw where you were going. Listeners might not have, but I saw where you were going there. Well, because we're looking at each other. So anyhow, in this article, there are lots and lots of multicultural URLs where you could go and seek things and Gosh, what you might find tons, there. Yeah. So I, I, if, uh, if you don't have the ILA membership and you don't necessarily want to pay the $150 a year for it, um, I'll go ahead and I'll add all of those URLs in the show notes so that people can go find them. Cause I think they're really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I also think is really important um, is the rubric that she includes in here right. for, for evaluating whether this book is one that you want to include and one that you don't. So, um, you know, there are, how are the books? Um, I'm just going to kind of read through them. Is that okay, Adam? No, I, yeah. Cause there's a lot. Okay. Here. It's a lot. It's so, and, and I'm not comfortable publishing this because I think this is somebody else's work, yeah. but, um, to think about how does the book portray culture? So if the book is culturally conscious um, and it validates the culture, that would get like a one. So is it validating the culture in terms of illustrations and words? Mm -hmm. So an example might be um, um, hair love, right? Hair love. Yep. That would be an example of that. Um, An example where it just creates, it doesn't, doesn't um, really have socially conscious stereotypes. I mean, it just sort of is like a melting type ignores culture would be like the snowy day. Right. So even though that's a great book, I don't think not use it, but when you're thinking about putting that in the check boxes, is a this cultural of a book because the child yeah, is, do I check? No. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. great book. We want to keep using it. We want to show, we want to show life. 
Um, however, it's not really going to check that box as far as am I providing a culturally relevant text. Mm -hmm. So um, um, how the book portrays culture part two is the author or illustrator are in the back um, are of the background that are portrayed in the book. So is the author or illustrator, you know, if I were to write a book about, um, you know, living in the outback, right? <laughs> Australia or something. I mean, obviously that's, that's, I'm not from that culture. I'm not you from You can that research back. it, but it's not, it's not it's the not same a personal connection, right? Yeah. Um, the main characters are the same race, ethnicity, religion as the reader. So for my school where I taught um, in San Diego, I would be looking for connections, right? With students and the um, characters in the book. Right. Um, Vera told me a while ago, I, I guess it was two or three years ago, we were talking about book lists and um, about characters who are maybe experiencing um, something culturally of another culture, but the characters are animal cra characters. And she said that, no, no, Didi. She yeah. shot me down. She said it in such a kind way, but she was like, no, Didi, that, that does not count. So we want to make sure that the characters are reflective um, in the students. Or um, if you are teaching in that school, this isn't in there. I'm adding the or. That's a <laughs> but, you know, for me in, in my um, rural community, I want to make sure I have a diverse, even though my readers right. aren't that, but I want to make sure that I, I provide lots of different cultures there. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to talk about how the, how the characters talk, um, in the book compared to how your students talk. So you want to have some relevance there. Um, and if the reader likely visited the place that was, or lived in an area that was like the setting. So thinking about the setting, um, and then of course the content, the plot, did the reader have, uh, is the reader in your classroom have, could they have experienced mm -hmm something similar. So I thought that the rubric was, was a good one to think about. So, but most, but mostly I was just really thinking about thinking about the characters and in, in the big picture, thinking about the characters, how do they connect with the students in your classroom? Um, look at the author and the illustrator of the book and make sure that they've had some relevance within the, in the text, and then make sure that the, the book is written that accurately portrays easy for me to say, um, <laughs> It's funny you can get out that other word, but that word. I know, I know, scary. And and an example that she gave, she did give a book example that she did pick that was not, um, it was by Mary Hoffman, The Color of Home. And even though the author and the illustrator were not of the background, she did select it because it was so dead on on everything else. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, until there is a perfect world where there are just so many books that reflect um, author, illustrator, um, you may have to you may have to make some um, critical decisions on which books to include and which ones not to. But just right. to kind of think about those things. Well, and I, I think I keep thinking as as I read this and I hear you talk about it that I, I keep thinking about the the future of these students too. That yes, we're going to expose them to this right now, but I, I I can't stop thinking about your little Missouri town and my little town where I grew up. That mm -hmm. like had had we done that now? And maybe the teachers are like, it's not about just in this moment. It's about what you're going to experience as you go on with your life. You know, right. and right. I think that goes back to the, the shush example, right? Like right. Why, why shut this out of our classrooms just because we don't have 
different cultures in our classroom, right? right. Ex- exposure. Right. It's an expose, expose, right. expose, and teach and teach. And and the more we do that as as humans, it's it's it can only benefit us. It can only benefit. So um, I, this is, this was a great, I thought it was a great article. I wish I could make it public, but again, that's, it's not my thing to do, but um, anytime, you know, I'm thinking about myself as a, as a teacher, getting to know students, interests, history, even if I knew their mom and dad, right. I knew their history. It'd be interesting to know what they said their history was as well. Right. So that, what, what they hold in their head. I mean, has, maybe that's a great way for them to go to their family and, you know, have a home project in which they talk about that. But um, it only makes your connection with students stronger. Um, and then we know with that, with that stronger connection, right. instruction becomes more effective. Well, and to go forward, there, there were a couple of things they, they ended with that I thought were perfect. And I'm not going to read them word for word, but the first one, I wish they, you would. They, no, wish they said, and this is something you all do anyway, but just get to know as much about your students as possible, including, we already talked about this, their family, their culture and, and their lives. It's not just about, you know, often we do like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite? Yeah. Book? And we get to know our kids in so many ways, but build almost superficial, but yeah. like a, like a superficial level, a safe right. level, make them right as as sincere relationships as possible right. the entire year and then one suggestion they had for the culturally relevant text was do google searches but don't just google search a title google search the author background um, recommendations from certain publishing houses and clearing houses so yeah. google search for those things that you want to check that did you mention in that rubric so don't just search the title you know check the author's background check the the relevance of it against different searches and and criteria in there right and then right. as you start planning determine what critical questions you can ask from these books I think that's a big one right because it's not just about reading yeah. the book books right. and, and people that have listened to me talk they know that I'm so much more about telling a story than I am just reading a book so think about the way that you can tell the story through the characters but also relate it to the students in your class and that that mm-hmm. goes you know it goes beyond just reading a book it's telling mm-hmm. the story and making that story valuable and then I liked number five that they recommended was determine how each student in his or her family can articulate their own personal story. So I mentioned that that Cinco de Mayo celebration, right? Because it was a a need in our school to let students tell their story and families tell their stories. And we did, we invited the families in for that. So think about the way you can connect, not just through relationship, but connect your families to the learning process as much as possible, because that's your most valuable resource right there. People have experienced it firsthand. Right, right. Um, I guess what I'll, I'll leave this with a couple of rec- other recommendations that I'll include in the link is, is um, Lanisha and Naomi's book is a great mm-hmm. one. And then they also have created some social studies units that um, lean into the idea of um, providing social studies that is culturally um, or m- more like a community. It's not really... I guess I want to say, I don't want to say it's just, just cold. It's not just talking about other cultures. It's, it's kind of removing that problematic one way of always teaching this particular standard. We always teach, we always teach Thanksgiving this way. We always talk about now and then this way. Um, And so they bring in lots of different voices that one, make it incredibly fun and engaging and two, um, hopefully make a better human instead of humans when we're done. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I like that. All right. Woo. We good did ending. it. We got to good the job. end. 
All right, everyone. So if you have any questions about that, reach out to Didi because she yeah. is the one. <laughs> that I'm the holder this. of the key. No, but And any ideas for us too? If you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got this great book. Then yes. share it on social media and tag Didi, tag myself. Yes. So listeners and other viewers can see it. We'd love to see what you are reading, what you're using, what you're sharing to keep this, this discussion alive in your classroom and, and help your children grow in the best way possible. So yeah, yeah we love hearing from you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Classroom Collaborative Podcast. If you are enjoying these episodes, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you are finding them. And share and rate it so others can find it as well. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.